movement of Jesus' followers exploded in growth in the first century on the irrefutable eyewitness accounts of hundreds of people who saw, touched, and ate with the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus' disciples followed his teachings and his commands, and they took his message to the ends of their earth. As far as they could possibly go, uh, they took this message of Jesus Christ. And people were receiving this new message into their lives as, as good news. This is what we need to hear. This is what we've been waiting for. And, it, and, and, and people were, were open to this good news. The message was, was filled with hope. The message was, was drenched with the Holy Spirit. And even at the risk of losing their lives or losing their property or losing their families, people joyfully uh, accepted this good news of Jesus Christ and they were baptized in his name and they started to form uh, churches or gatherings likely uh, in their homes and they met and they worshiped together and they prayed together and they shared communion together and they read the, the teachings of Jesus over and over and they took care of one another and they learned what it meant to be a follower of Jesus Christ. One particular place that was on fire for Jesus and was growing rapidly, the church was growing rapidly, was the city of Ephesus. The Apostle Paul had traveled extensively through this part of Turkey, preaching about Jesus, sharing the good news, and planting churches as he traveled. And it was the, the fall of uh, the year 52. Most of you weren't around then in 52. And then again in 53, Paul was there for two and a half years. And uh, by the end of Paul's second trip to Ephesus, uh, Ephesus was a, a world-class trade center. It was a city of 250,000 people. And then about five years after Paul had visited Ephesus, about five years after that, Paul is in prison in Rome, and he writes a letter back to the churches in Ephesus. And this letter would be copied over and over, and it would be distributed so that, so that more people could have have copies of this letter so that they could study it and cherish it as a handbook on what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. And we call that letter the book of Ephesians. And Paul uses brilliant imagery in the book of Ephesians in visual language to help them and to help us understand that there should be a clear dividing line between the old you and the new you in Christ. It's, it's the radical edge and and Paul makes this super high definition clear in the book of Ephesus he wants everybody to know that that you once were there is a way that you you used to live and there's this 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 dividing line now and now you are you're on the other side of of who you used to be there's this radical edge now and and everything is different on this side of following Jesus Paul calls his friends in Ephesus, some who he's, he's never met before. He hasn't been there for five years, and the church is growing fast. But, but he, he calls them to move away from, from this line, to, to press on towards Jesus Christ, to continue on in the direction of Jesus. This is the, this is the time of the year when we, we repaint the lines, right? You, you can't find the lines out there on the road. Winter and salt and snow plows have have eroded the lines. It's hard to see the lines sometimes. It's another reminder from God that we were never meant to live this far north. 
we get to heaven, he's going to look at all the Canadians and say, what were you thinking? <laughs> Anyhow, frost means move south. You know that. Frost in the original Greek. Now, I'm making that up. Okay. <laughs> Someone's going to look that up. Like, really? Frost? Didn't know that. Um, new paint will go down to clearly tell us where we should be and where we shouldn't be. Although in Moncton, it doesn't matter. Because people don't use blinkers, and they just go wherever they want to go. But the lines are there for a reason. These lines in our lives are there for a reason. This, this radical edge between who you once were and who you now are, who you're supposed to be, the way that we're supposed to live in Jesus Christ, the lines are there for a reason, and maybe... Maybe the, the, the winter season of your soul has, has eroded the lines, and they're not as clear as they should be in your life this morning. When you come to Jesus, you, you cross over the line of faith. When, when you come to Jesus, it's the, the once were is gone, and you become a new person. You leave behind your old selfish ways of living. That This, this old you is, is driven by a selfish carnal nature and you leave that behind and you're born again and you invite the Holy Spirit of God to fill you and control you and guide your life and in your new life in Jesus Christ you change you are you're transformed the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that we should no longer no longer conform to the patterns of this world but we should change we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You allow God to change your thinking. And, and you'll find that, that as you do that, as you, as you live in Christ, you'll find that, that your wants start to change. And some of the things that you used to want, you don't want anymore. They just, they just seem like rubbish to you. They just, they just lose their, 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 their grip in your life. And your wants change. And you, you start to want more of the things of God. You want to, you hunger and thirst for more of, of Christ. And you think about this old stuff less and less. That's the way it should be. And you think about that stuff less and less. Early in uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul writes a prayer for his friends in Ephesus. And he asks God to give them spiritual wisdom and insight that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 17, Paul says, um, he says, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in, in your knowledge of God. He prays, if you continue on reading chapter 1, he prays that their hearts would be flooded with light so that they can understand with, with confidence the, the hope of God he prays in, in chapter 1, verse 18, that they would understand God's great power that is available to those who are in Jesus Christ. He tells them in verses 19 and 20 that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to them. So Paul, Paul reminds them that you were once dead in your sins, living under the power of, of Satan, following the pull of your, your sinful nature. And Paul calls them to resist the temptations that are back there in that former life. And he's telling them and telling us that we now have resurrection power inside of us 
to crucify those old things in Jesus' name so that we can live in resurrected victory. That's good news. Paul, it's, 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 it's just, it, I know it bends the brain, but Paul says that the resurrection power that was there on that first Easter morning that rolled the stone, that filled Jesus Christ with life, that rose him from the dead, can raise you from the dead. That resurrection power is, is in you, and it can set us free from our old ways of living. Paul has a love for God's church. He has a, a very high theology of church that he teaches in the book of Ephesians. If you encounter someone, if you know someone who says, well, I don't, I don't, I don't need church to be a Jesus follower. I can just do my own thing. Uh, encourage them to read the book of Ephesians, because in, in the book of Ephesians, Paul makes it clear that the church is God's plan. And look at what he writes in chapter 3, verses 9 to 11. He says this, I was chosen to explain to everyone this, myster this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom and its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan to use the church. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus, our Lord. A local group of Jesus followers who are fully surrendered to the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives, who are becoming more and more like Jesus, who are loving their community in the name of Jesus, who are deeply, urgently concerned for souls in their community. That local group of people, the church, is God's plan, gang. It's God's plan for changing the world. So Paul's plea, his burden, is to urge them, to compel them, to beg them, not to be average, not to be casual, not to be kind of sort of on the line, not to be half in and half out and, 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 and unclear. Paul is encouraging them that the lines should not be blurred. It should be difficult. It shouldn't be. It should not be difficult for people to know that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Don't drift back to the old line. Don't cross the line. Don't erase the line. Like, like a coach, Paul is, is cheering them on. He's encouraging them to move forward in their faith because average Christianity will never change the world. Average Christianity will never change the world. There is nothing attractive or invitational about casual, average Christianity. Why invite someone to church if it's not life-changing? Why even talk about our faith if it isn't everything to us? Jesus can't be something that you do for, for 90 minutes on a Sunday morning. He has, to, he has to permeate your entire being. He has to be preeminent in all of your decisions. You need a deeply personal, daily walk with Jesus Christ where you are keenly aware of who God is and what God is doing. We need gang. We need Moncton Wesleyan. We need to be living a radical adventure for Jesus Christ that is attractive and compelling to the world around us. The world has never been deeply impacted by average Christians doing average church 
with an average faith producing average results. I'll say it again. The world has never been deeply impacted by average Christians doing average church <sighs> with an average faith producing average results. And I don't want to be average. That's not my goal. I want to be part of an unstoppable movement of God. I want to see a generation that will not settle for mediocrity, that won't drift away with the culture. I want to serve alongside an upstream current, uh, an army of upstream current fighters who push back the darkness by shining the light of Jesus, proudly proclaiming there is hope in the name of Jesus Christ. A radical Jesus culture can produce a positive revival climate. Chew on that for a moment. Not average, not casual, radical. A radical Jesus culture can produce a positive revival climate. Well, thanks for coming this morning. That was my introduction. Now let's get to the text, Romans, uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You doing okay? Here we go. Paul says, imitate God. Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes. These are not for you. These are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. For once you were full of darkness. You once were full of darkness. But now, you now are. You have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns, in spiritual songs, and whatever Chris Tomlin writes, among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks. 
for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're awake, say amen. amen. In verses 1 and 2, Paul gives us three very important goals or ambitions, three patterns that we're supposed to follow. And then he gives us three reasons why we should do this. So first, we're going to put up the three patterns. There they are. Number one, Paul says we should imitate God. We should live a life filled with love. We should follow the example of Christ. And then he says because. And then he gives us the three reasons. Number one, he says we are his children. Number two, he loved us. And number three, he offered himself as a sacrifice for us. Imitate God. Live a life filled with love and follow the example of Christ. If we could put that slide back up with those three, there it is. If you want to be average, don't do any of these things. Don't, don't, even, don't even really listen right now. Let this just kind of run off you as if, it, if, as if he's talking to somebody else. This doesn't apply to you. If you want to be average, just, just don't do these things right here. Only half listen right now. But if you want to be part of a radical Jesus culture, then lean in to these three things. Lean into this stuff and apply these things to your life and ask yourself the hard questions. Allow the Holy Spirit to examine your life on these things. Do I imitate God? Do I imitate God? The more you get to know God, the more you will be able to reflect him and act like him. His mission is forgiveness. It's restoration. So ask yourself, do I pursue restoration with other people? Do I, do I circle back on relationships and say, are we okay? Is there anything here that I, that I need to, to ask you to forgive me on? Do I pursue restoration with others? His grace is unending. Am I, am I patient with others? Do I extend grace? Do I give other people room to be imperfect? Or am I quick to judge and quick to assume? You won't be perfect at this, but, but you can set out each day to help others see what God is like. Second one, do I live a life filled with love? Not just with people who are like me, people who are easy to love, not just with people who agree with me or people who can do something for me, but do I go out of my way like Jesus to extend love to other people? Do I see people with the full measure of worth that God created them to have? Well, let me repeat that one. Do I see others? Do I see people with the full measure of worth that God created them to have, or do I apply my own worth to them? Someday we'll do a series here at the church called How to Be a Better Lover. And everyone will come because they'll think it's a series on sex. And then we'll talk about how to love one another as Christ loved us. How to be a better lover, what do you think? All right. Well, that's the third point that Paul gave here in Ephesians chapter 5. Am I following the example of Christ, a servant, a foot-washing, leper-touching, lame-lifting servant who intentionally went to the very least of these with unconditional love? Am I willing to lay down my life, or am I too busy building my kingdom? 
And in the next few verses that we read there in, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul does what I did not do last week. And he names specific sins that were a problem in Ephesus. And we all know that I could stand here all morning and name sins that are a problem in Moncton. You don't have to use your imagination for very long. And if we think that those sins are just problems outside our walls that don't affect us because we're having our own little holy huddle right here and that's stuff that happens out in the world, if we think that, we're kidding ourselves. We're deceiving ourselves. We won't encounter corporate revival until we experience personal repentance. We will not encounter corporate revival until we're willing and ready to experience personal repentance. And so if Paul were writing to us today, he would name pornography. He would, he would name it. And he would say, hey, 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 wake up. Paul would say, wake up. Don't fool yourself. Don't kid yourself. Don't listen to the lies of the enemy on this. You cannot live in that kind of sin and live in Christ at the same time. You once were. And then something happened. Jesus Christ came into your life and you now are. Don't go erasing all those lines. Don't go living back there in the once were. Paul would say, come on, wake up. You can't live in that kind of sin and live in Christ at the same time. You can't serve two masters sleeping around. How are we doing now? Sexual relationships outside of marriage. Flirting with it. Fantasizing with it. Warming up to the idea of being with someone else. Addictions to narcotics and drugs and alcohol. And Paul would call us away from those things that we're, we're using to replace the power of God in our lives. And Paul would say, don't settle for a band-aid when God offers you healing. Gambling and misusing what income you have. It's greed and it's sin and it needs to be dealt with. Living a double life where you are covering up things that were, if they were to come to light, if they were suddenly to come to light, you would be so ashamed. Things that you know to be sin or you've been deceiving yourself for so long that, that, that you've, you've convinced yourself that it's okay. You've seared your conscience on that matter. And maybe it no longer stings and convicts you the way that sin should. Look at verse 6. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, Paul says, by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey them. There is a deceiver telling you that your, your sin is okay. And Paul says, don't be fooled. We cannot let church, listen, we cannot let the, the, the downstream current of our culture take us with it. We can't let that. We have to keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. Verse 7, Paul says, don't participate in the things that these people do. He's telling us to be different. He's saying, be set apart. He's saying, come on, make better decisions. Have the mind of Christ. Imitate 
God be under the influence of the Holy Spirit in a church that gets this, in a church that, 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 that conforms to Jesus rather than conforming to the patterns of this world, a church that gets this and places itself in the hands of God where renewal and revival can happen. A church like that will be unstoppable. Verse 8, Paul says, For once you were, you once were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord, so live as people of light. Live as people of light. Paul doesn't want us to ever forget what Jesus Christ has done for us, the price that was paid for your sin. Before Jesus, before you crossed that line, when you were, when you were in the, uh, the once were stage of your life, before Jesus, before that, before you crossed the line of faith and accepted him as your savior, you were in darkness. You were dead in your sins. And don't underestimate how, how eternally lost you were. Even if you were lost and loving it, you're still lost. Even if you were rich and healthy and had the biggest house on the block, it's all rubbish. You, before Jesus Christ, you were dead in your sin. And when you believe in him and when you invite Jesus Christ to come into your life, you're inviting the light of, the, of his resurrection power to flood in to every, every, every inch of your being to invade, to permeate the deepest depths of your life until there is no more darkness in you. And then, as if that weren't enough, Paul cranks it up another, another notch. In verse 9, he says this, For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. The light of Jesus Christ, the light of your salvation that comes into you when you cross that line of faith, it produces only what is good and right and true. We don't just have the light in us. We are to be the light, producing only what is good and true. We have to, we have to, we have to feel the weight of this this morning, gang. We have to feel the weight of this because when churches get this right, the tide of darkness can be pushed back in a community and good things can start to happen. When churches, when large groups of Jesus followers, uh, when, when, when they don't engage their light shining responsibility, darkness wins. If we're not going to be the light, who is? If we're not going to shine the light of Jesus, who will? We need to feel the weight of this responsibility this morning. Don't shake your head at the problems of this world. Shine your light. Shine your light on the problems of this world. Don't be intimidated by the darkness. Be illuminated by the light. And the only reason it feels like the darkness is winning and we're all being sucked downstream in the sewer of a decaying morality is because people who have the light are not shining the light the way they should. Verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Wow, what a verse. What a verse. I mean, if you can teach your kids and your teenagers one verse, teach them this one. If you can have one verse playing on the rotisserie of your brain all day, every day, make it this one. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Make this the wallpaper on your phone. 
Make it the wallpaper on your computer. Put it on your fridge, your desk, your car, your TV. The word that Paul uses here for determine. It means to examine and to evaluate in order to make a wise decision. Give the Holy Spirit time to help you make the right decisions. Don't be impulsive. Don't be hasty. Don't be lacking judgment. And, and it tells us, if, if this is true, if this is possible, to carefully determine what pleases the Lord, then our days are filled with opportunities to please the Lord. Your day, every new day, is an opportunity to make good decisions, to choose right over wrong, to choose good over evil, to, to serve the Lord with your life, to make good decisions, to, to shine the light of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. The last part of verse 14 there, where Paul said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. We're not sure if Paul is making a reference back to uh, some of Isaiah's writings. We talked about that last week. Or if he's quoting, if this awake, O sleeper, is, is a quote that he's using from a common uh, hymn that they would have sung at baptisms and things like that. And uh, so we're not sure which, way, which one it is. Either way, it is clear that Paul does not want the church to fall asleep. That Paul wants us and he wants the church to awake. To be awake in Jesus Christ. Don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget what God is doing in you. Don't forget what God wants to do through you. Salvation is resurrection. You were dead, but God raised you to new life. Baptism, as we saw with Matthew this morning, it's the outward demonstration of an inward transformation. It's your public declaration following Jesus just as he was baptized. It, it symbolizes someone whose life was dead, and now they're awake for Jesus Christ, buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. And I can't help but think that Paul was writing back to those churches in Ephesus, calling them to, to stay awake and to not go to sleep on the world. And, and I, I think that Paul is writing with an urgency with this. His world is becoming a darker place by the day, and he's urging the church to not fall asleep in the darkness, urging the church to be vigilant, to be awake, to be alive, illuminating the brilliance of Jesus Christ. If the church of Jesus would wake up globally, darkness would have no place to hide. We had an incredible evening here Friday night with uh, World Hope Canada. Our general superintendent of our denomination, Dr. Joanne Lyons, was here. She is the founder of World Hope Canada. She's now the general superintendent of uh, the Wesleyan Church Worldwide. And she was sharing Friday night of being in, in meetings around the world with some of the most uh, powerful and uh, most wealthiest people on the planet and talking with them about what can be done about the darkness of our times and and, uh, and she, she shared Friday night of how these people of, of wealth and position and power are saying time after time that the atrocities of our day cannot be overcome without the help 
of the local church. They say, we need the church. You can't just throw money at it. You can't just throw politics at it. We, we cannot do this without the church. They need the church to be the church. She stared, she, uh, Dr. Lyons shared stories of unthinkable horror. And she told about those stories and, and how they have been, been transformed, radically transformed by people like you and me who said, enough of this darkness. The darkness has been there for too long. It's time to shine the light of Jesus Christ. People like you and me, when the church of Jesus decides to arise, to awake, and shine God's light into the darkest of places, the darkness has to flee. Darkness cannot resist the light. And my friends, that's why this, this is more important than ever this morning that we get this. We need personal holy revival more than ever and my prayer is god awake me awake this guy right here awake tim guptel wake me from my sleep holy spirit come and flood this place right here and fill my atmosphere we need to move away from our sin you once were but you now are don't go back there and cross the line and blur the line. The line is the line. It's there for a reason. Step out into the light. Drop those chains that bind us, the sins that entangle us. If there ever was a time when our community needed us to rise up, to awake, this is the time. Ephesians chapter 5, going to finish the, the text and then we're going to then we're going to shine. He says in 15, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. Understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine. That'll ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing songs and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, making music to the Lord in your hearts. Give thanks everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ he talks about being filled with the Holy Spirit don't be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit won't lead you back to where you are the Holy Spirit will lead you further and further away from your sin the Holy Spirit will lead you closer and closer to Jesus Christ the Holy Spirit does not hide in the shadows he won't take you back you cannot be filled with the Holy Spirit and still full of yourself. You have to die daily. It's the only way to live. You've got to die daily. It's the only way to live. Let the Holy Spirit lead you 24-7. Paul says it. He says, come on, be careful how you live. Don't live like a fool. Live like those who are wise. This message has been weighing so heavy on me this week. Many of you know that. Every time I, I looked at the message this week, I would get emotional. I, like, I could hardly look at it. I had to work, I had to study it, but I, every time I went to it, it was heavy. Because I feel like we've been holding back. Maybe even a spiritual pride of thinking we're okay. But this is a message that other people need to hear. There are chains that need to be broken in this place. 
And we can't move forward as a church until we bring this stuff to Jesus, until those chains are broken. We're kidding ourselves. We can't say that we're in the light if we're still messing around in the dark. We can't shine the light of Jesus until we've been broken of our sin, emptied of ourselves, filled with the Holy Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? The band's going to start to play. This is the altar call. If the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, now is the time to come and don't wait. If you need forgiveness and healing from the sin of pornography this morning, come to the altar of this church. Jesus is waiting. If you've been unfaithful sexually or emotionally, come to Jesus. Come to the altar of this church. Don't wait. Jesus is waiting. He's here. He'll meet you here. He'll break those chains. He'll heal your soul. He'll set you free. He'll forgive your sins. He'll restore your life. He'll wash you whiter than snow. If you've been living a double life and hiding your sin, now's the time. Come to Jesus. Come to the altar area of this church this morning all across the front. If someone comes and, and puts a hand on your shoulder and asks to pray with you, you don't have to, you don't have to tell them everything. They just want to pray with you. Say, sure. I'd be happy. To, but if you want to share with, with someone like, and, 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 and share your story and have someone pray specifically over your sins, I'd encourage you to do that this morning. There are chains that need to be broken. We cannot move forward as a church until we bring this stuff to Jesus. We can't say we are in the light when we're still messing around in the dark. We can't shine the light of Jesus until we've been broken of our sin, emptied of ourselves, filled with the Holy Spirit. Come to the altar. This is our moment. This is our new day, Moncton Weston. We will never be the same church after today. We will never be the same again. The light of Jesus Christ will be brighter in our lives and brighter in our city and in our communities and in our homes than ever before. The enemy has no power over us. We declare freedom this morning in the name of Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus Christ washing away our sin, healing us and setting us free. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Lord, would your Holy Spirit flood over this room right now, every chair, every, every seat, every person that is here. God, would you break chains. Lord, would you set feet free that they would unlock from their chairs and come forward to this altar this morning and bow in your presence to be healed and forgiven and changed forevermore. God, would you move us off of the line closer towards you, away from who we once were, into the now are living Holy Spirit-filled lives in Jesus' name. God, would you have your way? We need you. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. As we respond out of obedience and surrendered hearts, in the name of Jesus, amen. All God's people said.